glorious thing to be a part of. Our Central Florida area, or whether you're a part of it going to another nation, um, what an honor to serve the King of Kings. So um, we're just real pleased about that. I'm wave to everybody. Sherry uh, is a, a, a daughter, but at the same time, she and her husband pastor a church in Indianapolis, and we're glad to have you with us too. Well, there were so many things going on this week. I was kind of wrestling with what. What do we say? I don't know what's going on with the sound, but it'll eventually I'll just turn one. Here we go. We're on the blue mic. Maybe we'll try that one. All right. So, um, so many things going on. I mean, I was just thrilled to, that we get a chance to hear from Alejandro and Rebecca. Um, just the greatness of what our God is doing. At the same time, well, I was excited about bringing you this next in our series on James that we've been walking through the book of James. We only have two more times this time and one more. And, uh, and then it all got thrown away, or not thrown away, but uh, blown up by what God did on Friday. On Friday afternoon, God moved on the hearts of the Supreme Court of the United States, and we are able to have a radical shift that we haven't had for 50 years in our nation. For 50 years, the federal government has allowed, supported, promoted, and paid for abortions in our nation. And for 50 years, there have been over 60 million babies killed. I mean, when you stop and think about that, it's, it's, it's just shocking. Any of you who have uh, seen a newborn, ha held a newborn, I think of Angela who had three preemies and um, these tiny little babies who grow up to be ussins. That's a new word we just invented, ussins. Um, to have their life now not under some federal curse of the United States is amazing. You know, a nation when it deliberately sins against a holy God um, is in for a rough ride and is under his judgment. And so to be able to have this thing happen is amazing. I, I really um, was kind of taken back by the three dissenting justices. Um, I'm going to give you a direct quote. It kind of picks up in the middle of a thought, so don't really, the first sentence doesn't matter. Here's the direct quote. Today, the court discards that balance. It says that from the very moment of fertilization, a woman has no rights to speak of. Okay, so that's their view. But look what they admitted. From the moment of fertilization, life is conceived. Life is conceived. And that is true. There is a, there's life that is conceived from the very moment of fertilization. And you know, what we have is a real person. It's not a blob. It's not a frog. It's not a dog. It's Bob. You know, I mean, it's a person. It's a person. And so we really got a chance to even have the dissenting justices acknowledge that life begins there. And um, so that's the real news. 
That's the real news that came out of the, the um, decision is that people get a chance to have life that they get a chance to enjoy what we do, that they get a chance to serve the Lord, that they get a chance to participate with what he's doing in his kingdom. This is a big deal. And as, as I was driving to church today, as my, um, you know, Sheila normally is sitting up there playing, and so she, she got uh, a chance to have a break with Angela and the, the youth worship team. Didn't they do an incredible job? I mean, they... They brought us before the king in a really energetic and great way. But so Sheila, I, I got a chance to say, hey, I norm, normally we don't drive to church together. How would you like to ride with me? And she said, I guess we can do that. So we get in the car. I say, you got anything on your mind? She says, well, I don't know. What are you thinking? I said, well, I pray all the way to church. So here we go. And so I'm starting to pray. And as I was praying, I just got overwhelmed with this thought. Um, and you're, we're going we're gonna to hear it today in James when we talk about how the voices of those that an injustice happened to hit the throne of God in heaven. And so, so we know that God hears us in heaven when we go through troubling times. But by the same token, I was praying. I said, oh, God, may this day in churches across America and right here, may we be people that your angels turn around and says, what's that noise in Orlando, Florida? It's people praising God for the great thing that just happened on behalf of the unborn. And so may, you know, that was my prayer on the way to church today is may, may God and all of heaven hear our praise for this incredible thing that has just happened. So we're going to stop what we're doing right now. And we're just going to honor him. And I, I encourage you not to just listen to me, but to participate with me as we praise God Almighty. Father, I thank you right now for this incredible deliverance you have brought to the United States of America. I thank you that you have used this nation to send missionaries throughout the world and you've used this nation to help people in their times of need in different countries across the world. But oh God, that we would do what we did by having this horrible curse brought on our nation, by having our federal government endorse and promote and pay for the death of the children that you brought into the world, made in your image. Oh God, that's horrible. And yet you allowed that to be lifted on Friday. And so God, we bless your name. We thank you. I thank you that that it was kicked back to the states, and I know each state has to decide for itself, but Lord, at least there's not a federal um, endorsement, a federal constitutional right for a woman to have an abortion. Oh, Lord God, these are your kids. These are your kids. Lord, if we don't, if we care about baby animals that people abuse. If we care about whales, oh God, certainly we should care about the people made in your image. And so Lord, we just thank you. We are overwhelmed with hearts of gratitude. We thank you that more children will come into the world who bear your image, who have an opportunity to experience life Yes, to experience hardship and pain, but they experience joy and participation with you and your kingdom. And so we are so, so grateful. I bless you in the name of 
Jesus. This church blesses you in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. Go God. Woohoo. Pastor turns off the microphone all the time. We live in a world that um, calls good bad and bad good. And I remember, you know, reading that, I think it's in um, 2 Timothy 3, and, and it, it talks about that. And when I first read that, I, I was reading it and I thought, and, and, and I got saved when I was 16, so that was a, just a few years ago. But at any rate, as I recall reading that, I thought, that makes no sense whatsoever. And yet here we live in this world where we call good things bad and bad things good. And that's the world we live in. And we just talked about one of those incidents uh, in reference to abortion. But we have now moved to this new religion the religion of it's all about me. The religion is it's not about God who's the creator of heaven and earth. It's a religion that says what's in it for me? What's good for me? What do I want? What works for me? And then I want you to accept it. And then I want you to endorse it. And then I want to mandate it upon you. And I'm not trying to get political here. I'm just trying to say, this is our world and we created this. We are a part of this. I'm not saying we, Freedom Fellowship, is living this, but we now live in this world. And so sometimes we have to press through some hard times. And so today as we continue in our, um, our series, which is called Building Genuine Faith That Works, we're going to focus in on one particular area, and that's genuine faith that perseveres. Genuine faith that perseveres. You know, last week we, um, we talked about uh, business people, actually the focus was business people, who say they're going to go to a certain country and this is what we're going to do tomorrow and we're going to make money here and we're going to do this. And, and it's good to plan. We talked about that. Um, and that was kind of how we ended up on the end of chapter four. And But none of us knows the future. That was what we talked about last week. None of us knows the future. We don't know that we're going to be around people tomorrow that we were today they may move their parents may move and you can't go to school with them they we may not work next to them so this is our one and only shot to be invested in their life and so today matters today matters and so as we move on in chapter 5 we're going to start in chapter 5 verse 1 um, today, he starts out talking about wealthy landowners, but they got their wealth from ways that they shouldn't. They were not God-honoring ways that somebody accumulated some wealth. So let's just read this little passage here to start with. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now, now listen, you rich people. 
Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Hang on. Hang on. Look, the wages you failed to pay Oh, I skipped a sentence. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you, crying to heaven. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So much here, and, and, and you might read that initially and think, well, that's a heavy. Um, what, what, what are you going to, where are you taking this? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that um, these rich landowners were hoarding wealth. They were hoarding wealth for the last days. Nothing wrong with saving. But when you hoard it and you don't use it according to the leadership of God, that's a problem. I've often said everything I have is God's. I don't own any of it. He's the one that gave me health. He's the one that gave me intellect. He's the one that gave me you as my friends. He's the one that... Um, enables me to make ends meet financially. He's the one that gives me insight so that I can raise a family. He's the one. He is the one. He possesses it all. And so sometimes we hoard wealth by taking what God let us earn and we use it exclusively for what we want to use it. And we hoard it. We pile it up. So that's the first thing he says here. And then he talks about in verse 4 that, um, that this money that came in happened because he sold the goods of the field. But then um, these people that helped him mow the lawn, mow the harvest, create the harvest, he never paid them. So he kept all the money and he didn't pay. And so the question I would ask you, and I ask myself this too, I ask myself, Lord, am I doing everything by your leadership? Because God's leadership would not be for you not to pay those that helped you make money. God's leadership would not be for you to take things just for yourself and not use it according to what he has. And so verse 5 moves on that we just read, and it talked about using money for primarily our own desires. And so I'm trying to live life different than I have. Not that I lived it bad before, but I'm trying, just like this little bracelet says, pray first. I'm trying to pray through everything that I have whether it's the money I have, the income I make, the time I have, because really, by the way, in case you haven't figured it out, you only own one thing in life, your time. That's the only thing you really own. And so how you spend that one commodity really matters. 
And so James is saying that money will be worthless when Jesus returns. He moves us to that point. Money will be worthless when Jesus returns. And therefore, we should spend our time really focused on accumulating things that are treasures in heaven. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen through 21. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither, rot, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? Where is your treasure? Nothing wrong with money. There's, it, it's, it's actually, what's the word, amoral? It, has, it, it doesn't have a morality. Um, it, it is what you use to trade. So you trade your time for money. You get money and you trade it for something else. It's just a trade. So what are you going to trade it for? Is it going to be something that is of eternal value? You're trading your time. Um, I do encourage you, work and work hard. That is a, uh, a good work ethic is a great, great thing. Um, so I'm not saying don't do that. But I am saying make sure what you're investing, your one and only life, make sure you're investing it wisely according to his leadership. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10 that it's the love of money, there's the operative word, that is the root of all evil. It is the putting money ahead of God. So do we put money ahead of God, the, the seeking after? Or are we so worried about money that we're not worried about what God would call something we should be concerned about? And so he tells us that we have to be careful on that. So does money have you and your heart? Or do you tell your heart what you will do regarding money? And there's a lot of ways you can look at this, but I, I, I used to be, and I guess I still am, I still have businesses that I own. And, and so... Does my business own me or do I own the business? And I would even say if you don't own your own business, but you're in some responsible position in your business, I would say it to you too. Does your business own you and your affections or do you own it? And so I, you may think, well... Pastor Pat, you're just playing with words. No, I'm not. I'm not playing with words. I, words matter to me, yes. But I'm actually trying to use those words to shape the life, the one and only life that God has given me. I can't live my life for you. You can't live your life for me. You need to live your life for him, and he's going to lead us. And as we both, here's what allows us to walk in unity. If we both hold to the same anchor, we can walk in unity in here. This is the anchor. This is the uh, owner's manual. 
You know, when you build a when you build a car and you and you maintain it according to the owner's manual, or you get something fixed according to the owner's manual, it works again. And so, as long as we're building our life not in accordance to what I I, I say, but according to His Word, then we can be in unity and walk together. James is also giving a warning to all Christians not to be tempted to adopt the world's standards. You know, the world has a methodology of how it works. It has a way that we're supposed to think. It has values that we're supposed to adopt. And yet God says, Pat, get your mind transformed by the renewing of your mind by my word, and then you'll think like I want you to. Then you'll have the mind of Christ. Then you'll be able to discern the right thing to do. Then you'll have strength to make the hard choices. So, you know, many times we're told that our soul is made up of three parts. Our thinking, our mind, our feelings, our emotions, and our choices, our will. And those things are being reshaped by our bending our mind and our heart and our willingness to alter our life according to his word. So as I start thinking correctly, which this helps me, then I start feeling right. In other words, meaning my desires start getting shaped the way God wants them to be. Because my desires left alone can be really off. So I need my desires reshaped. So my thinking leads to better desires. And then once I get my desires and my thinking in line, I do something crazily, crazily, that's good, crazily cool. I make a good decision. I tell myself what we'll do. And then good decisions lead to good actions. Good actions lead to good habits. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so after we have this caution on money, um, he then moves us to uh, how is your, how do you live out in faith during hard times. Now, this is where you want to pay attention because none of you have hard times, but you have friends that have hard times. And so these will be real good clues for you. Let's read James 5, 7 through 9. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, specifically talking to the church, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Two things, patience, standing firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Be aware. 
Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge, capital J, is standing at the door. So I think this is pretty interesting that, so we're, we're going through hard times and he's going to draw a correlation, an illustration, and he chooses a farmer. You see, a farmer can't hurry God's process, nor can we hurry God's processes in our life. You, you plow up and prepare ground. You just got to do it. We, we, we don't understand that as much in Florida because we have this ground called sand. But in other parts of the nation, it can be really hard. And it has to be prepared. And then you plant. And then you're waiting for that spring rain to come. God, will you water this? And then you wait because it grows. And then you get one more hit of rain in the autumn. And then comes the harvest. It's, there's a process. And you know, our life is like that. We go through hard times, and sometimes it takes patience. You just have to have patience. And so while waiting for those um, rains to come, are you doing what you can do while you're waiting patiently for the movement you have asked God about? There are things you can do while you're waiting for that answer of prayer. There's something you're trying to figure out. There's a problem in a relationship you're trying to get past. There's an opportunity God opens to go share with somebody here or in another nation. There are things happening, and while you're waiting for that prayer to come to fruition, are you just sitting or is there an activity God wants you to do while you're waiting? So there's lots of activities that come to my mind that I could do. If I'm waiting, what am I doing to prepare my heart to, to be able to receive his answer? Because it may not be the answer I want. What am I doing? Am I praying? Am I talking to other godly counsel to try and help me get ready for whatever. Maybe it's a financial thing that God's been whispering in your ear that he wants you to start your own business. What are you doing to feed your mind? He's already told you that. You're already praying about it. You're, you're ready for it, but the opportunity hadn't quite come up. Well, are you studying the industry? Are you preparing your heart for, for, for uh, sometimes a downward movement? I don't know if this, if you knew this or not, but if you own your own business, not everything goes the way you want it to. Just thought I'd share that. Sometimes it takes patience. It just takes time. It takes ups and downs. It's just life. But what can you do now while you're patiently waiting? Now, I'm not talking about I'm going to force something to happen. I'm going to make something to happen. I'm saying, what can you or should you be doing? I love the words um, can, should, and must. I love those words. You know, so there's certain things I can do, 
Um, there's certain things I should do. And there are a few things, not a lot, a few I must do. And, and knowing the difference between can do, should do, and must do is really important. So there are a ton of things you can do. I mean, I know you, a lot of you, very well. You are very capable people. You can do a lot. But there are a few things you really should do. And, and you need to do them then if you should. And there are a select few things you must do. And so this, this is the same way as you're praying through an answer you're looking for from God. What should you be doing? Now one of the things this scripture talks about is that Christ is coming back. And, and you may say, well, yeah, how, how long ago was that written? And, and, and does that mean then that it's still going to be a long time? I don't know when he's coming back. We see signs and scripture and prophetic utterances and lots of cool things here that, that indicate we're closer now than we were. But we don't know. But he's saying if you don't walk with a surety that Jesus is coming back, you're just going to make life pretty casual. Oh, if it doesn't work today, I'll get it, to, get it to it tomorrow. I don't have to repair that relationship today that's kind of shaky. I can get to it tomorrow. What if you knew that Jesus was coming back? Oh, I can talk to my friend. Uh, I know their marriage is going through trouble at work. Um, I know their marriage is going through, and, and I've been waiting for the right opportunity to talk to him that Jesus is the answer. Okay, there's some wisdom to that. But you're not promised tomorrow. They're not promised tomorrow. I already said it earlier. They may move, get a job transfer or whatever, quit the job. Today is the day. And so... This thing that we're trying to really realize here is that um, we need to do what God puts in front of us right now. Whatever he has for us, do it while we're waiting on him. One of the things that I think we forget is that there is going to be a judgment. Oh, I'm skipping that, Pat. I'm, I, I'm, my name's written in the book of life. I'm saved. I'm skipping that. Well, you are skipping the eternity judgment. But you're not skipping the judgment where God brings all of us before him. And he looks at what we did. And by the way, he just hits the play button so everybody sees what we did. And... And then according to that, he gives you rewards that you then can take these crowns and lay, him at, lay it at his feet. I want to be able to lay things at his feet. So it matters that I correct that broken relationship. It matters that I seize that opportunity to share the gospel. It matters that I invest that little extra time with my kids or my friends that maybe God wants me to deal with there is a day of judgment coming now then we finish this last little uh section um you know james is kind of like the the proverbs of the new testament 
It's loaded with lots of little nuggets that are really cool. Some are big thoughts, some are smaller. And so at any rate, he gives us this nugget at the end of, I think it was verse uh, 12, we're going to get to. It says, he talks to us about grumbling. Why is grumbling a big deal to God? I mean, there's a lot of big sins. Is, is grumbling really that big of a deal? Well, grumbling shows that we don't trust God or his process, especially when he chooses to use others. So instead of just an outright answer, God's answer includes other people, making it happen. When we grumble, we're just saying, God, I really don't trust your, the way things happened. I don't trust your process, maybe your timing. The next thing is grumbling forgets all that we have to be grateful for. I tell you, there is a power that comes with being grateful. There is a power that will change your life. There is a power that changes your perspective. There is a power that happens as you negotiate the issues of life. If you will just be grateful for the good things that God has already done. There is something that happens with gratefulness. And grumbling, grumbling just neuters all the wonderful things God's done. God, grumbling just, it, it, it's as if, Lord, I have a short-term memory and I don't remember all those good things because right now I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with this problem in front of me. I understand that, but we can't condone that. Grumbling matters. And then the big one, grumbling displays our unbelief. By grumbling, we show that we despise God's timing, his ways, or the people he chose to use in our life. So grumbling is a big deal. Sometimes it's easier to blame other people when God wants us to Take responsibility for our part of the issue that needs to be taken. Oh, well, if I, t I was only 5% responsible for that problem. Okay. Take 5%. I mean, go ahead and jump in and be the leader in repentance. Be the leader in apologizing. Yeah, but they're mainly to blame. You're never going to win that battle. You're just not. Just jump in. Be the leader in that. James 5, 10 and 11 says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, okay, now we threw in a new thing, suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Yes, it's the quality we love. You have heard of Joe's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Yeah, we honor those prophets like Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah that persevered during hardship. But, as with Job, there is a blessing that God brings as you persist in doing what's right in times of trouble. Years ago, when I lived in Sarasota, I had a pastor, and he said this, and it's, I don't know, it's just 
It's interesting. People say things and it sticks with you. He says, Pat, it's never, it's never wrong to do the right thing. And so, how do I know what's the right thing? You know what it is. Come on. You know what the right thing is. Whatever the situation you're, 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 that's coming to your mind right now, you know what the right thing is. God planted that in you. He really did. So it's never wrong to do the right thing. Just jump in and do it. But there is a blessing that comes when we persist in doing what's right. I, I, I love uh, turning my imagination loose. Have you, you, do you know that God created your imagination? Sometimes I know we use it for wrong, right? We, we, we turn it loose in areas that we shouldn't. But have you ever turned it loose in the areas we should? So here's my question. He says that um, he is full of compassion and mercy. Have you turned your imagination loose and said, I wonder how broad that compassion really is toward me. I wonder how merciful he can be when I haven't done what I should do. His mercy and his compassion towards you is massive. I can't even describe it. And I'm a word guy, but I can't. His mercy is overwhelming. So when the enemy of life wants to minister shame to you, I'm not saying you shouldn't feel bad and feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you sin. You should. But when it moves from conviction to shame, that's a tool of the enemy of life, the devil. The devil wants to shame you. Shame, shame. What happens when you feel shame? You just back down and you don't participate in life. You just back away. Conviction is a good thing because we get to change. Thank you, Lord, for convicting me of that. I need to do something about that. That's fine. That's forward moving. That's positive. Shame, not so much. And our last verse is James 5.12. Before I read it, I just want to say this. Um, we're going to have our last James uh, study, not this coming week, but the week after that. And that is the part of James 5 that is talking about healing. So this is my promo. Please bring any and everybody you know who is sick, who has a problem. I don't care if it's like Alejandro just showed on the screen of somebody who is deaf or blind or has cancer. Um, your God is bigger than all that. And your God didn't do all the miracles that are going to be done, and they're all right here, and there are no more. No. He wants us to show the people that his word is 100% right by stepping out and believing him for signs and wonders. And so on July 10th, I'm just calling it Healing Sunday. Bring any and everybody you can that you know is sick. And we're going to lay down the word, we're going to lay down some testimonies, and we're going to watch God do miracles, because that's what God does. And I can just go in, I, I, I could just give you testimonies for a whole service, 
that I've seen God do. I've seen, not that I've heard about, I've seen. But that's going to be July 10th, and that's going to be our last time in James. And I just really encourage you, bring, bring people. Okay, back to, are you going to do that, by the way? Four people? Are you going to bring people? Or tell them or something? Okay. I tell you what, when you have a miracle happen, your whole life gets rocked. I remember the first physical miracle that I know happened to me. And I was in Ecuador. The first third, let's say the first 20 times I went to mission trips, I got sick. I just wasn't good with food from foreign countries. And I got sick. I would get sick. And I would kept, and, and people, even the people there say, why do you keep coming back? You know, I'm supposed to. Anyway, so I, I, I just didn't have the stomach. And so I was now down, the longest I've ever been down, three days. Um, Tony Nardella was with me. Tony thought, oh, my goodness, this is not going to be good shipping Pat back in a pine box to Sheila. Uh, you know, so I better, I prayed for him, but we're not seeing things. I, I, I'm going to call the doctor. So we had a doctor. His name was Byron Lopez, Dr. Byron Lopez. He came over and, um, and he said, um, before I give you medicine, I want to give you God's medicine. Can I pray for you? And I said, do anything you want. You know, I mean, I was, I was, I had been, it's, I, I won't describe it because it's ugly. But um, so at any rate, he comes and he lays his hands on me, and I mean, I am so sick. I, I can't even explain this to you. And he lays his hands, and he prays for me in the name of your Lord Jesus, and your Lord Jesus, and your Lord Jesus. And I, I, it didn't hit me like other people say they feel a fire. I felt an ice cube. I felt an ice cube hit my head, and it just started internally working its way down. And in about two minutes' time, as it, as it went down different air, it, the ice cube went down as the, as the coolness went down, um, where it went suddenly changed. It went down to about right here. Now the headache and fever was just literally gone. And then it went down further and I could breathe. And it went down further and I felt my stomach come into order. It went down further and I felt my intestines come into order. And then it just kept going all the way down to my feet. And it was two minutes, two minutes time. First time I've ever had a physical miracle. I've, God did tons of miracles and, and just, you know, um, helping me for all the stupid stuff I do. I know you don't do that, but I do. And so, but this was a physical, and, and I just, I'm sitting there like, oh my goodness, I've seen so many miracles in others, but to have a physical thing like this happen was over the top for me. And so, if you have a miracle of God happen in the physical realm, your life changes forever. Now it's no longer just what I read, it's what I've also experienced. You have friends and relatives who need to be healed. Maybe it's you. 
Maybe you have an area of your life that has been constantly bothering you. Bring them on July 10th. And I'm just looking for the power of God to show up in this place. I hope that every chair is out. And then I hope we pick up every chair when the altar call. And most of the time, it's not going to be me preaching. It's going to be ministering. So I'm just really encouraging you to go there. James 5.12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. God is looking for our words to be accurate. Not to be half-truths. God doesn't need us to exaggerate anything. That, that first-person miracle, I just, I don't need to exaggerate anything. That's exactly what happened to me. And, and those of you that know, um, by training, by education, from the University of Florida, I am a journalist. There are no more of those anymore. But there used to be these things called journalists who accurately reported what was going on, objectively. And so I believe my view is exaggeration is a form of lying. So I don't like to exaggerate. I like to just tell it. That way you'll believe me on everything else I say. So partial truths, no. Exaggeration, no. Outright lies, no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no and just put it out there. And whatever it is, it is. And so he, he really is trying to get the people of God to, um, to realize that it matters that they be people of integrity. I really want to be a person of integrity. One person in one body. What you see is what you get. No hidden agendas. You don't have to worry about a hidden agenda with me. I just tell you. And if I can't tell you, I'll tell you I can't tell you. But I won't mislead you knowingly. And so... Today, um, as we've walked through some of these keys that might be helpful to you during times of trouble, and that you will learn to persevere and persist even when it hurts, um, God will deliver you. His, his mercy and compassion is overwhelming. And so I told you there's three things that I wanted to cover today. Um, and so I wanted to cover this incredible blessing that our nation just got um, with Roe versus Wade being reversed. I wanted to share with you out of James. And the third thing that I want to do is to...